You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Super pumped to be down at the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. We have an awesome partnership lined up for you guys uh, with my co-host now here today, who's head curator of the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame, Justin Lenhart. Uh, We have the awesome opportunity of co-hosting together to interview Oklahoma Sports Hall of Famers. This is a boyhood dream. Uh, Matt Hoffman sat across the table. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, so to be here. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, super nervous, but I, I can't wait to dive into your story. You know, grew up playing video games and all that stuff, and BMXing in the UK is huge, as you know. I've been over there a bunch of times, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, growing up in Edmond, right? Yep. Not really a big BMX scene. No, I mean, it was, uh, there is. It was a good BMX scene. We had seen we had Edmund Bike Shop, and they really helped foster a lot of us and sponsor us with bike parts and um, and all the skateboards. My brother skateboarded, and it was just all. It was kind of a. It was more of a lifestyle back then. It was it was like skateboarding and BMX and punk rock and art. It was all kind of the same community, and and now it's a little bit. Uh, you've got skaters and and bikers because of, of different competitions, how it's grown and stuff. But. Uh, um, but yeah, back then, uh, it it was yeah, it is it is an odd place for you know BMX or skateboarding to be. Or but it, it was really um, it did. There was a lot of great arts and and uh, and you know our sports. I I like to express as sport as art, and so it did a, you know influence a lot of other um, the evolution of of all those arts and sports. Yeah, where did the first kind of love for BMX come from when you started? Uh, let's see here. Um, I, I guess my, on my eight, eighth year old birthday, I got a BMX bike <laughs> and then, and then I was like, wow, wait, okay. I, I started jumping this little curb and then I started subscribing to the magazines and this BMX action, uh, um, came out and it had a, had kind of a blueprint and plans of how to build your first quarter pipe. And it was like a six foot quarter pipe. And so my my uncle was a carpenter and he helped us figure it out and we built it and uh, um, and then it just you know I I just uh, I, well I, I well I mean I was riding it and then my brother started dropping in on it and uh, um, and then he's like here come up here I'll, I'll show you and so he like he kind of held me and uh, and then he's like yeah just kind of see what it looks like and and so I was looking at it and then he just pushed me in and I just thought I was dead for sure but then I rode out of it and I'm just like. And I think at that moment, it was just like, man, I thought there was no way that was possible. That I could ever do that. And I'm rolling away. So I just started thinking, what else can I don't think I can do that I could I could do? And so I just I kind of kept kept riding that ramp. And then until until I woke up unconscious on the flat bottom and it was kind of like, <laughs> welcome to the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you were hooked. Yeah. So when you know not having social media around when you're doing that and just kind of on your own hand built, you know, quarter pipe at the time you you just kept hitting you know getting higher and higher and like i can do this this is cool hanging out with your you know your brother and stuff and then you get good and you go to your first competition what was that like when you went to that first competition and realized that like you were flying through the air a lot higher than everybody else 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because it, you know now it's like you can kind of check yourself with the rest of the scene and the talent that's out there just by posting something and and uh, um, but then the only way to really recognize uh, you know kind of uh, your talents and and you know the progression of the sport was through a magazine that came out like maybe every every four months and it was always like four months old you know and and so uh so you never had any current stuff and and so i never really got to i mean i, I didn't really notice like um for instance the technicality of a lot of people would go up and they grab their brakes in the air or their back brake in the air and i never did that and because i couldn't i couldn't see it through the photos and then um and uh and i didn't really know whatever other people were doing so i was just kind of uh, taking inspiration when I'd see something new and like, oh wait, you could probably do it like this, like that. And then, um, then whenever I went to my first, uh, well, I think they, there was a there was a contest in Tulsa that I I, I rode, but it was um, I was so nervous and I, uh, but I, I did I think I won it, but I but the first time that I really did a big national contest was uh, in Madison Square Garden, and. And yeah, that was such a trip because it was like all these, all my heroes were riding and then I would ride and I'd, I'd start going higher than them and I'd do more extended variations or just uh, different stuff that people hadn't seen and I just didn't really, uh, you know, I, I didn't really recognize that I, I was any different than, you know, just being a backyard, my backyard ramp, you know, yeah. riding with my the locals and stuff. And and so that was kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember how I, uh, how I kind of, I, I took that. I, I, I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was interesting because my, my daughter, we were in New York earlier this year and, um, and it was at Mass. we got a hotel right by Massa Square Garden. And so I just found this, uh, um, I was like, I just took a walk around and just like flashback from like 30 something years ago. <laughs> just, <laughs> it might've been longer than that, but it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was a good memory, but yeah, I picked up a sponsor and then, then got support and started traveling the world. So that was like the breakthrough on the scene. People, obviously a huge competition in Madison Square Garden. People started seeing you. You pick up a sponsor and then they approach you and like, hey, we want to send you around the world. Yeah, so then I, I kind of got on the contest circuit or whatever. So yeah. I started being sponsored to go to these contests. And then um, and so I, I started riding the contest and, um, and started getting magazine covers and then went on tour. I was probably like, um, see, I think I was like 14, 15 years old. And... Uh, um, and we do like 30 date tours that would last like, um, you know, sometimes two months and just living out of a, a stinky van with a bunch yeah. of dudes and, um, living the dream. Yeah, it was totally, <laughs> it, was, it was living the dream. And, but it was also kind of like, you got to grow up kind of quick because it's like, you know, uh, you're, you're on the road by yourself and, 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 uh, and I had, luckily I had, uh, Ron Haro, who was Bob Haro's brother, who is kind of credited for inventing the sport and came out with Haro bicycles. And, um, and he was the team manager for Skyway. And so he really kind of, uh, helped me along and, and uh, took care of me and just kind of made sure that, uh, um, I didn't get too corrupted by the road. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did mom and dad think when you left that first time to go and you're like, yeah. Hey, I'm touring. Yeah, they were just like later. <laughs> like, enjoy, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's like, uh, um, I mean, they're they're very adventurous people, and my whole family is. I mean, it's funny because people people always come to me and like express that uh, like I'm crazy or that I I do gnarly things, and I'm like, man, you know, I'm like the most normal one of my whole family. <laughs> if, they knew that, if they knew anyone else, it was like they're way crazier than I am. I've worked really hard to be sane, and you know? yeah. But uh, um, 
but yeah, so they were, I mean, they, they just like, go get them, you know, and they, they trusted the, uh, people that kind of helped take care of me on the road. And, um, and you know, they, uh, my mom negotiated my first contract and I still, even the guy that, uh, that owned that, that bicycle company, Skyway, who was my first sponsor, um, he was like, man, your mom was just so hard to negotiate with, but you know, but she was right. And so we, 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 we took care of what she said she, we need to take care of. And he's like, you're lucky. And I was just like, you know, I never, I just kind of, you know, I never really saw that, that perspective of it whenever I was growing up. But, uh, 30 years later, I get, I get kind of, they still remember those moments. <laughs> yeah. The hardest contract they've ever negotiated. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was crazy, man. I was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing time. Since, That's awesome. Since you've been doing it, um, you know, from your youth, you said you started when you were eight, you're 14, you're starting to go out and ride. What, uh, was there ever a moment when you were like, this is going to be it, I can feel it, like this is going to be my career? Or did you always have it in the back of your mind that, ah, this is probably something I can do, even though the sport was evolving and becoming bigger? Uh, was there a time when you knew, hey, this is, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, no, it, it's like I never knew that there was any other option. I was like, this is before I even got uh, known or recognized or anything. I was like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And I, you know, I didn't really put together that you have to like make money and you have to make a living. I was just like, it, I, you know, I just didn't give it a, a choice. <laughs> it was just, yeah. this is going to happen, and we're going to. And uh, so I was, I was committed out, out the gate. But, uh, um, but yeah, so then it just kind of, I guess, I guess reality was like, oh, well, he, he's not going to change his mind. So I guess we got. Change, change reality. <laughs> we got to roll with it, right? Yeah. yeah. And you come from quite an entrepreneurial family, right? I think, I think some of the documentaries and, and in previous interviews I've kind of done some research on, your dad was an entrepreneur. So that was kind of always like in right. your, in, ingraining you growing up. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, he was, he was always like, uh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. So either help me or get out of my way, you know, because it's going to happen. And so, it, you know, and he, he came from nothing and just, uh, and just worked hard for what he had. And so he... Uh, and then, and he was always like, you know, his motto was like, there ain't no free lunch. You just got to work hard for it. And so, um, so he would, he just brought us up, uh, with a good work ethic. And I mean, he would, I'd have to mow, like when I was eight years old, besides getting my first BMX bike, I had to mow 40 acres with a, with a big tractor. And if there's one blade falling up, I'd have to, or, or like standing up, I'd, I'd have to mow it all again, you know, cause he was very into mowing and he used to mow like, a, um, uh, like golf courses and stuff. So he was, he was like, this is the standard you got to do it with. And, but it, you know, like all those just growing up and, and having that, uh, you know, learning how to work hard and, um, and, uh, and, you know, doing the, doing a full job and not a half job, you know, it just, I mean, it basically, uh, gave me what I needed to get, get where I wanted to go. So, yeah. And that first competition, where was that? Uh, first competition, um, like when you got signed up, you were like, I'm doing this, I'm going on the road. Let me think here. When was the first competition? Maybe, maybe Dothan, Alabama. There was a, an AFA contest. Someplace that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and so everybody I, knows where that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, um, and I, I got a, I, I got, I think I got my first cover of uh, from that contest too, is why I remember it. Um, Wendy Osborne shot the shot the cover, uh, who uh, who I actually just saw uh, this weekend. Um, she was. She was a, um, she was sister's, or she was son of Bob Osborne, who uh, started Freeson Magazine, which turned into uh, um, Go Magazine. But uh, then her, his son was also R.L. Osborne, who, with Bob Harrow, both invented the sport, though 
Bob gets most of the credit, and uh, and RL kind of um, shied away from the credit. He's he's just as uh, as big as an influence at the starting of freestyle, and I and nobody's seen uh, RL for like like 20 years or something. He just disappeared, and I held a contest in San Diego last week, and uh, I turned around at the judging panel, and there is RL. I was like. Poking him, going like, is it real? <laughs> but yeah, so he actually uh, showed up, and yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, you grown up obviously being competitive around your brother and your dad, you know, doing a lot of work and, and just having that work ethic ingrained in you. And then you know, you you grow up failing, right? I mean, that's what BMX is. You're pushing mm. the boundaries, and you're always failing, always mm. failing. And it's the same as you know many sports that you know that we have, right? Everyone just gets used to failing. That kids I don't think these days are used to it right mm. you know you have all these people now that they might if they haven't gone through it you know they just they they give up right and you go back to like your era and you have you Tony Hawk and all these guys who basically just fell over every single day and nailed a trick once and that was it like Tony's 900 was crazy right but he tried mm. it a ton of times the same as you know your world record um, does that come from you know like your I guess you loved Evil Knievel growing up, right? Yeah, I mean, he was he was definitely, uh, and we were kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, kind of like birds flock together, you know? We're yeah. Kind of, uh, we we're kind of this ingrained in the same, same like, mentality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I, and I, I didn't really realize that until we started hanging out. You know, I just always saw him as a as a toy action figure, you know, right. or like as a as an animation, or you know, I didn't really see him as a real dude when I was younger. And then uh, when I uh, got when I when I became adult, and um, yeah, I was just like I was doing. I think I was producing a television show, um, ESPN, and uh, you know, it hired me just to express what our world was, you know, in a, in a TV show. So I. So I was like, man, I want to, I got to interview Evil Knievel. So I just, I, I went and, um, and, you know, I think I, I, the first interview I totally failed pretty miserably, but, uh, but then after the interview, we just started talking and we started realizing that, uh, that, uh, we were, we were pretty similar mindsets and, uh, and then we became really great friends and he would just call me just to, just to talk for hours. He, like sometimes it'd be like two in the morning and I'd, I'd like wake up I was like, who's calling? I'm like, wow. You got it. You can't not you can't take the no. phone call if it's evil and evil. So I'm like, all right, what up, evil? You know? But uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a wild. I mean, because I mean, it's a wild relationship because I'm mean, evil. Is like he's he can hate you and love you in the same sentence. You know, very very manic dude, but very passionate. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he your inspiration for the world record, or was it before? Do you get the world record for the highest day before you met him? It was before I met him. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and like you were saying, with uh, with you know, fa- failing and, and just uh, learning from your failures and uh, and recognizing that you know failures is your your the best teacher you have. Yeah. I think that comes from uh, when you're in an independent sport and you don't have coaches and stuff. That's you, you push it till you fall, and then you're like, okay, I, every time you fall, that's a new lesson. You know, it's like, okay, wait, what did I learn from that? Okay, how am I not going to do that again? <laughs> You know, and uh, um, and yeah, so I uh, so I I would crave uh, put. I mean, that was that was part of that. That is the sport: is you push yourself till you fell, uh, you you uh, fall or you fell, and uh, then you uh, just um, you just you know advance and you just keep keep going. And so I like it. It's almost a lot of a lot of people like you're saying. We're kind of um, they stare away from failure and they just they're scared of failure and and in in like 
in my sport, that's what you crave. You just look for it. You just try. You just try to try to get to the line without going past it too far because you you want to wake back up and, and yeah. learn what you did, not not have a concussion like most of the time. <laughs> most of the memories you have to it takes about maybe a, a couple of days before you get to remember what you did and and, yeah. and learn from it. But uh, but yeah, it's that's that's uh, that was the best teacher of mine. Touching on that, um, we have some exhibits, you know, in your feature exhibit, we have a large video piece because we feel it's the best way to tell your story is through the visual because it's such a visual sport. Um, and in one of the videos, you talk about what happened here was there was a film crew here and that's got in my way. You said, I go to a place, I'm usually have to be by myself within my own head before I mm. go out and do this to do it right. Can you explain that process a little bit? Yeah, I I think sometimes whenever you're riding, when you're pushing, when you're when you're doing like uh, when you're doing life risking things, um, it has to be completely personal. and It has to be for you. And if you if you have any other element that kind of takes that uh, focus away from you, and you're doing it for someone else, then uh, then sometimes you overstep the the boundary in it. Uh, and that's and when you when you're playing on the big ramp, you know it could be life or death. And and that's interesting. Uh, that moment, um, whenever I crashed and I was I was unconscious for I don't know I think it was uh, a few days. I was I was in and out of consciousness. And then um, and then I I came to uh, that next week and evil came through town. And he was just like like Hey Matt, what are you doing? You want to? Uh, and he actually we I met him at, right across the street there. He was like he had, he invited me um, to go get some some food with him and he wanted to get a beer but he he only drank, drank O'Doul's and at at that time in his life and uh, um, so I went and and uh, um, with I went out with J C and and it was a time okay after I after I hit the ground my I had a daughter that was eight weeks old and uh, and everybody was just like you are so irresponsible. You have this beautiful child and you're risking your life and you're, um, you're, you're putting their future at risk. And they just like, tell me, you gotta grow up, you know, you gotta change. This is this, and people were just really uh, um, just digging into me. And I was just like, man, and I just I was like, wow, maybe I, maybe I am that messed up. Maybe I really do need to figure out like uh, how, to, how to like live normal or whatever, you know? And then, and then evil came through town and uh, um, and then I went and hung out with him. I have two black eyes. My nose is all, my, I have a photo of him holding my daughter with JC and I, and, and I just look like I just got in a, a street fight or something. And, and uh, but that night I was like, you know, like, uh, and hanging out with Evil and he was like 60 something and he still had that, that fire and he still had, he was still uh, saying he was gonna jump some, some like 200 foot jump in Vegas to open up a casino or something. I'm like, what? You know, you're like, you can barely get out of this, this chair. And, and I was like, you know, some people just don't change, you know, and some people that's just who they are. And it's not their fault. I mean, you know, they like, I, I'm sorry, but this is who I am and this is the way I live. And, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna change, I can't change, you know? And so, so it really, it, it put me at, at ease without thinking like, man, I am, I just I gotta I gotta figure out how to uh, be normal or, you know, or whatever yeah. and so so yeah evil was he was he was good for that too because you know I mean I mean I I was like half his age and uh, and so it was pretty good and he was still gnarly and I will ever be <laughs> at that right. age so it's like a, this is truly a lifestyle I mean it, you know I think people get caught up especially in modern age especially with athletes um, where maybe the sport is so much like you say a sport of art or a sport of a life as a lifestyle um, they get caught up in the recognition or they get caught up that's the overall goal like my goal is to become the best football player so my face is on the magazine or you know what I mean 
And what we try to get across people in the museum through your story is this sport is art in motion. They do it for the art. They're doing it because it's part of this, this life they live. It is who they are. It's their identity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, I guess, an example is most people, they, and when they get like 30 or something, it's like maybe even before that, you yeah. know, it's like uh, they're, they're out they're out of the competitive market because of uh, their age or because of, um, uh, you know, just because uh, people don't believe that you can perform at that level at, at a, after your after your 20s or something. And um, and I'm I, when I was 43, I, I beat my high air record, and then I'm now 47, and I still ride all the time. My friend Dennis McCoy did a 900 at the last contest in um, in San Diego uh, last weekend, and. And he's 53 now, you know, yeah. so and nobody else does that. So he also knocked himself out. And, <laughs> and uh, he was unconscious for about six or seven minutes, like wheezing. And I was like, oh, man, okay. But so, you know, that's always, but, it, you know, it, it was, it's dramatic. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, it's not as bad as that one time I saw him, you know, <laughs> because unfortunately I have, I have multiple experiences with that. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, I think, uh, I think it is, you know, it's it's who you are. It's not like you you don't you don't do this because it was youthful activity. This is just uh, this is this is how you live, and this is what makes you makes you happy. And it's kind of like it's a form of meditation in a way. And sometimes people, uh, whenever you you need in, you know, like for my mind, it's like if I if I put myself in an intense moment that demands my focus, it just it really it's like you know I, I skydive, I fly wingsuits, I base jump, I paraglide. And those moments that I ride my bike, it just demands my attention and it gives me a state of meditation and I just like everything else disappears and it's just peace. You know, it's like it's like going to a spa for me. Like everybody was yeah. like, Wow, you're so crazy. Why would you do that? You're gotta be so stressful and it's gotta be so scary. And I'm like, dude, I'm that's that's my spa, man. That's where I'm just chilling, you know. Like I come home and I'm like, I feel like I just soaked in a hot bath or something, you know. Relax. Yeah. Talk about uh, you know, like it is to Justin's point, you do live the lifestyle because you like you said you do flying in wingsuits and base jumping and paragliding like it's it's not just the sport for you is it it's just the thrill and getting outside and flying through the air which you're so famous for uh what's what's flying in a wingsuit like yeah uh i don't know maybe the first 50 times you're like see if I can pull this off again, you know, cause it's yeah. just so, it's like, you're like a potato chip flopping around the sky with all this. And you, and now you're, you just got to figure out your, your body's positioning and it's just this zero proxy material you're wearing. So it just really grabs the sky and it, and sometimes it takes a while to really kind of figure it out. But, um, but once you figure it out, it's just, I, I like the view for skydiving and, and you, I can jump out at 14,000 feet and, and now instead of falling 20 miles an hour I'm, I'm falling 70 miles an hour and yeah so now my skydive is in a minute it's like two and a half minutes and and I'm just like carving around the sky flying through clouds is beautiful but uh but yeah uh yeah it's 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 pretty have you done like the crazy down the mountain thing like you see crazy youtube no, videos no I hope too? I never do that because yeah, that's insane yeah like I mean I have a lot of friends that do it and um I mean uh this month I'm I'm making a trip up to uh, Omaha uh, oh wait no not in Omaha where is it Boise Idaho and uh, um, and I, I'm running a contest for X Games qualifier for park but then also there's a bridge in uh, um, another evil connection is uh, Snake River Canyon um, where he did that jump uh, there's a bridge in um, in Twin Falls that uh, the government just lets you jump 
for illegally. And, uh, and so I, I did last year, I jumped it 12 times in like three days. And, um, so I was like, I'm going to be in Boise. I might as well just take a couple of days. I was going to go speed fly up, uh, north a little bit. And there's some mountains and, um, and that's a rad canopy where it's like, it's kind of like, I mean, if you guys can Google speed flying, but it's a, it's like a small paraglider that's almost like a sports wing, but it's, and you just fly down like mountains and stuff. And it's almost like an eternal zip line that you can tr control and do whatever you want with. And, um, and so I'm going to go fly those wings and then I'm going to go down and make some jumps in, uh, in Boise. But, uh, and then, and it's like the government just totally, uh, the last time I was there, the mayor, um, the guy I jumped with, uh, Sean Chuma, um, he gave an award to him, you know, just because he's, he's done so many great things. And a lot of great things they do is a lot of people go to that bridge to, to commit suicide. And the only people that are there are base jumpers. And they're like, the only, and they're, they're the last talk that talk them out of it. And so it's like, it's a great bridge because of base jumping. It's like, it's like really, uh, it's really helped, you know, hundreds of, of peoples through, you know, last 20 years there or whatever that, uh, to really realize, get a second thought and go like, oh wait, no, I don't want to do this. Right. Yeah. 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 And so you, so you're going up to Boise Idaho to be involved with their next games event is that right yeah it's okay. a um qualifier for park okay. so we'll qualify a few people from that event um so I, you're still I, very involved with the whole x games thing having basically created the big ramp and made x games what it is today uh well thanks right? but yeah I, I i still am the main organizer for bmx and so i i i come up with a system to invite figure out all the best riders and invite the athletes and um and then just kind of the uh, format and um and yeah, I just kind of babysit while I'm there, <laughs> babysit the chaos. And <laughs> what was it like that first time that X Games would just like, hey, we want to put our ramp, put your ramp in, in a contest. What was that like? Oh, you mean the big ramp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever they first put it in the contest, like I had, I had done it in like 91, 92, and then nobody else had, had tried to redo that for like 10 years later. And then they started doing it. And then, uh, but they, I would never get invited to the events. And then, so ESPN didn't know that I invented the ramp. And so whenever they, uh, whenever they put in the contest, I asked if I could ride it. And like, no, this isn't for bikes. This is only for skateboards. And I was like, but I, I invented that ramp. They're like, no, you didn't. I was like, okay. And yeah. then, and then like years later, uh, um, they did that 3030, uh, series and they, um, uh, they asked if, uh, if, um, I would, if I would do a story, you know? And so I asked, I, I grew up with Spike Jones and Jeff Tremaine and, um, because they were all BMXers and, uh, Spike was like the photographer for the magazine and, um, Jeff was a, a, the art director. And, um, and so I was like, I was like, I, I like to, I want to tell this story, but I, I don't want to tell it to, uh, someone that won't understand it so that they're, they're kind of conform it into something they understand and then it's not the story you know because i've seen a yeah. lot of stories like that happen where i've like expressed them and i'm like and then it goes through the editing and then you see them like wait a minute that didn't that doesn't sound like the story at all but i was like it'd be it would be awesome if i could just tell the story with spike and jeff because they were there and part of the story and then we could tell it together and and just be real honest about be you know kind of tell it so i got to i got to tell the story and then i then like oh and then after it, it aired like oh wait you have something to do with this big ramp <laughs> so yeah it's, it's pretty funny what what led to make the big ramps i mean was it just boredom with the stuff everybody was riding and the stuff that was in the magazines or was it just back to that instinct you talk about of you know in the sport you go to that level 
that line and when you fall you figure it out i mean had you figured it all out on the traditional ramps or no well see what i, I think i don't know why but i, I got the and I, i've now learned that to to not let numbers get in your head but i got i got a number 20 in my head and i'm like i want to go 20 feet but uh but now i'm just like okay stop just chasing numbers chase i want to go big or i want to push it this hard or whatever because that's what always kind of takes you out if you want to try to push it just that few inches more to get that that number but um uh, i was like i, I want to get 20 feet and so I was, I was thinking about a design of how i could do that and so i, I first kind of came up with an idea a concept where i was going to have like a uh, we we're writing about 11 foot uh, half pipes at the time so I thought I'd do a 11 foot half pipe and I have a step down of another half pipe that was 11 feet and so I'd air like out of that half pipe say 10 feet and then I'd bomb drop 20 feet into another into a, a step down vert ramp and and so I could kind of feel like what a 20 foot air would be and so and then uh and then I got hired to go do a, a stunt show I think it was called stunt masters and there's this guy Johnny Airtime that was a um that was the stunt coordinator for that show and, uh, and he would just do these craziest jumps that he would just like, uh, he would hit a, um, he would like, one of the most radical ones was uh, he would get, uh, uh, he would figure out the timing of a pickup truck uh, going, I think he had the pickup truck going 80 miles an hour, and then he would time it to where he'd hit a, hit a jump and then jump as they're both moving and land in the back of the pickup truck uh, after a 200 foot jump. And I was just like, how does anybody figure that out? You know, like, and he's like, and he's just like a physics master. Yeah, so don't just skip started, math class. Yeah, yeah, and so, and then, then I was like, dang, they should have taught me that that math. I would have been like, I would have never skipped school. You know, like if I, if I knew I could yeah. learn that stuff. You know, but uh, um, so I, I, uh, um, so I just started talking to him about. Uh, about my step down ramp, you know, I was like, I want to go big like this. And he's like, you, your, your body can't take the G's on, on landing. And I was like, oh, he's like, but if you make a ramp, uh, that's 20 foot transition. And if you hit it at like uh, 60 miles an hour, twice as fast, um, it'll give you the same G's about two and a half, but it'll give you twice the vertical speed. And then you can, uh, then you can go twice as high. And I was like, oh, okay. So I, so I just, uh, um, so I built a 20 foot, came home, built a 20 foot ramp. And then I was like, trying to get my friend Steve uh, to like tow me with his truck to get to it, but it was like on dirt and everything. And I, um, and I just, uh, uh, I just couldn't get going fast enough. And some guy in a motorcycle stopped by like, what, what are you guys doing? I was like, hey, you want to help me out? So, so I talked him into uh, towing me and then I started, I started getting, you know, over 15, you know, 18 that day. And then, uh, and then it was just, uh, it was just perfect timing because I won this uh, freestyle of the year, uh, like whatever athlete, you know, and, and the, uh, um, the prize was a motorcycle, like a dirt motorcycle. And so I, and it was kind of a small, like kind of slow one, but I, I traded in for like a, a used uh, CDX, um, like 250. And, and then, then that's was my motorcycle. I get towed and started hitting that ramp yeah. and just flying. And, and that's what I, you know, it's like, I love riding bikes, but I love flying. And so it's like, that's a moment that my bike becomes my wing and I could, I could fly it and I could just like, I could just use the, uh, um, you know, the, the, uh, G's and from the, the wheels and the, uh, the, um, what's that circular motion or whatever, like, uh, um, to be able to just really kind of position and like I could fly my bike inward. So if I'm going to bottom or I could fly it out if I, and I was like, wow, I can, I've really been able to turn my bike into a, a form of flight now. And I, that's what I loved about it. And, and then that's, then I was just like, uh, um, and I was getting into base jumping at the same time. This was like in the early nineties. And, um, and so my, my, 
I was like, okay, wait a minute. I could build a 200-foot ramp. No, I was, no, was going to build a 100-foot ramp. And then I, I had this engineer working for me because I was making bicycles too. And so I had him. He was like, oh, you burn up your bearings. I was like, you're an engineer. You can figure it out for me. You know? So he's like, he's like figuring out new hubs and stuff. And I was gonna, my goal was to like hit a 100-foot ramp going about 100 miles an hour and then base jump from the peak. And, it's like, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I got, then I ended up getting injured and I, and I like, couldn't ride for a while and I had to get surgery. And, and so like, and that's funny because that's kind of the story of my life is like, uh, is everybody's like, ah, oh, it's a bummer you got injured. I'm like, if you would have known what was going to happen if I didn't get injured, I'm probably pretty lucky I got injured. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, saved my life. Yeah, injuries, inju- a lot of injuries saved my life. Your I own self governor, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in the videos that you can see, like I said, you're being towed by a BMX bike down a field, right, a dirt track to hit this ramp. You're holding on by one hand. How fast is you being pulled to hit that ramp? It was about 50 miles an hour. Yeah. I'd have to get going. Sometimes I would. I was hoping to get 60, but then. Um, but then I, because I really wanted to go, I could go a lot bigger. But then I, the guy that was uh, towing me was my friend Steve Swope, and um, and he just, and then he was just get, I'd be like, go, go faster, go go fast, and he would just, he wouldn't go faster. And then I started realizing, oh, he's an accomplice, you know, and like if like he's thinking that if I if I mess up, yeah. I could die, and then now he's gonna have all that that. Uh, on his on his uh, shoulders or what you know like he that's a big burden to to take and so I was like that's when I was like all right I'm gonna build a half pipe and I'm gonna I'm gonna build a big roll in and I'm gonna just uh, uh, if I mess up it's only my fault no one gets blamed for it or whatever so that was kind of the inspiration to to build that and um, and then I built that all through the it was a crazy winter and um, it's super cold and uh, just uh, just solo built it and um, and then I was even like in the middle, I was like midnight one time and I was like building the, uh, the Roland, which is like 43 feet tall. And, uh, um, and then whenever you're on something that tall, you have like uh, planks or boards that you kind of have to walk up, you know, that you kind of, you nail in or you, yeah, you nail into the, uh, or screw into the, um, to, so it's a big ladder. Mm-hmm. And then I was putting the last piece of plywood on and then it slipped off because I was having to bend it over the, the bump and it slipped off and it went down and it just like, took out each one of those steps and I was just like oh so it's like freezing out I got like seven layers of clothes because it's so cold out it's super late there's no cell phones back in those days you know that you'd have on you so I'm just like and and I see all these like nails sticking up you know that that uh or they weren't nails they were screws and so they broke off the screws and so all the screw tips were, were still in there and and I was just like I was like it took me a while to like figure it out, but I was like, I got, I got no other like uh, option but just to jump and, and slide. And so I just, so after about half hour, I mean, it felt like it was hours, but it was probably like my nine minute half hour. But I was like, all right, I guess I gotta go for it. So I just jumped, ripped, just ripped my clothes to shreds. But there's so much clothes, on, I had so many layers that it didn't even uh, uh, gouge me, and nothing ever gouged <laughs> yeah. me. I was like, all right, that was, that was good. But then I, I finished the ramp, and then I, I rolled in. And uh, I couldn't get couldn't get going uh, like I I didn't I wasn't going fast enough and I, I couldn't pump the ramp I couldn't get it to it was just too big of a transition to get uh, to work it like a swing set or whatever to get the G's um, and so so then that's whenever I, I I got a weed eater motor and I just uh, and it's awesome that you can you can get a weed eater motor and bring it to someone uh, over I, I think it was uh, um, what, I think I, I brought it to. Uh, John at Road and Track because I used to ride, ride motorcycles with him. I'm like, 
hey man, you think you can get this to make my bike go about 50 miles an hour? <laughs> and he's like, and, and I love it when like, this is, this is a state that people just don't ask questions. Like, I like the challenge. All right, let's see if we can do this. You know, they don't, they don't go, what are you going to do? And feel like they're going to be liable for your, your, yourself or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, then like repositioned the points and I guess, and made it run backwards at 7,200 RPMs and, uh, and it worked. So nice. and was that at the house? You built the ramp at the house? It was at my dad's office. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that was convenient because it was, it was, a, it was used medical supply. So, uh, so like, you know, uh, if you got hurt, you just went inside. <laughs> grab some gauze, <laughs> grab some tape, <Yeah. laughs> some disinfectant, cleaned it up. Yeah. What, right what did dad it? think about this when you're building this ramp and like make it by, you know, BMX with a weed eater on it? Like, was he just like, what yeah, are you Coming doing? off his roof. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's like, go get him. <laughs> you know, like, I, I never, my, my, my family never put limits in front of me. They're just like, all right, if you, if you think, if that's what you want to do, like, yeah. you know, you got it, we got insurance, so have fun. And like, like you said, if you were like the normal one out of the family, I can't begin to imagine what everybody else is trying to do at this point. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know, it's like, uh, you know, my, my, my dad had two fast cars, uh, like one that, uh, because he'd always have one in the, um, being fixed, you know, like he would, he, like those big hills at, uh, Lake Hefner, he would jump his car on that and just break all the, all the motor mounts out of it. And, and I just remember that when I was a little kid, I was like, wait, you broke all, you broke all the axles on your car. How would you do that? He's like, oh, I was late for Todd's uh, football game. <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> so, yeah, but, Something about the apple in the tree, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. He's, he's definitely, uh, that's definitely where, where it comes from. And, you know, and it's all kind of, it has different, uh, you know, it, the, the spirit uh, surfaces in different ways. With I have two brothers and a sister, so, um, but I yeah, I'm, I, I can say I'm probably the well. No, my sister's she's I think she's stayed out of jail, but I, I think other than that, I'm probably the only one that, <laughs> one that's uh, that's one that's stayed legal. Yeah, <laughs> or at least stealthy enough. And through this whole time, had you always thought about like having your own bikes? Is that what just kind of naturally came about? No, it was a time like um, whenever I really wanted to start pushing bikes was in the 90s. And Bob, I, I was riding for Haro after Skyway. I started riding for Haro. And, uh, and then he had sold his company in, in 87, but he had like, uh, or 86, but he, yeah, and he had five years that he was going to stay on and keep the quality control up and stuff. And so in 91, uh, he wasn't working there anymore. And then the products, like I just started breaking stuff a lot and I, I would design things and it would come back and it would go into production. I was like, I didn't, that's not how I designed it, you know? And, and so I just started realizing, uh, at that time in my career and in, in my aspirations, I really had to trust my life with what I put under my feet. And like, I had to, I had to be sure that I knew exactly the material was, it was designed out of and that, um, uh, and that, you know, I wouldn't be having like, uh, fork um, uh, steer tubes snapping and you know because I just started seeing a lot of my friends who were snapping steer tubes and breaking their neck and and so I just realized just how how dangerous a, how what a death trap a bike could be with what I wanted to do unless unless I designed it myself and I just knew exactly it was it was built out of the best material possible and so that's kind of it was necessity that I started hopping bikes just because I needed to I needed the equipment that was to that standard to 
pushed this pushed my ability to where I wanted to go. Mm. So that was early nineties. Yeah, so I started doing. So I, it was basically kind of stemmed from the big ramp. So I uh, so I started um, uh, I started doing my prototypes in in early nineties, and I, I was like. Um, I was working with Lynn Caston, who was uh, who owned Redline, who kind of who came who invented like the Redline flight cranks and uh, even like as as simple things on a bicycle design that you never thought uh, someone invented like the crossbar and a handlebar or something, you know. And um, so he was just like a he was a very early innovator in, in bike design, and so I just went to his house and just hung out with him. And and it's probably why the Condor looks a little bit like a, um, a Redline, the first ones and stuff, but. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I was able to design it with him, and then I, I had it manufactured by um, Mike Devitt, who owned, who started SE Racing. Uh, so it was like basically two of the best. Uh, I got to learn from like two of the best, luckily, and um, and yeah, and then I just, uh, I just kind of then I then I was like, uh, you know, I, I like I like to do. I, I kind of went. I, I my brand uh, kind of went over capacity of what they could produce and so uh, so I was like it can't be too hard let's start our own machine shop and so and yeah that's pretty hard let's yeah. <laughs> start our own machine shop got got will tig welders and uh and benders and lays and mills and just started making my own bikes and and then then after a couple years I was like I had like 20 something people working in the, mach- in the machine shop and I was just like a, a manager and I was like how did I become a manager man <laughs> what, I, I did, where did I do the wrong turn you know like, and so then I, I, f- I figured out how to step back out and get back on my bike and, and uh, um, uh, yeah and uh, not have to manage the shop and, and just uh, started riding more yeah, and it's still bikes are still going. You're still producing bikes right now and selling them right now. Yeah, I just uh, actually last night I've been working on the 2020 line, and I I finally finished all the specs last night, and uh, and I'm kind of I'm redoing some I'm reissuing some old frames like the some classics like the Big Daddy I'm redoing, and I was talking to Taj Mahelich, who's a who's a legendary biker, and he's kind of one of the uh, I mean he's kind of influenced the modern day street rider. And, um, and uh and so i mean redo the taj and uh so so yeah it's been pretty fun it's kind of it's kind of cool because there's a big you know there's a lot i love making uh new new products and and new designs and new innovations and stuff but now there's just a big a collector uh there's a lot of people that are my age that have been you know they they maybe couldn't afford the bike whenever they were uh 15 and now they're they're 40 something and and they can uh, they can buy their dream bike and so they want to go back and and just buy these kind of get these there's a lot of collector uh community out there and so like from my bikes from 92 to 96 it's insane like uh um i was in england and you know like uh, like hoffman bikes is probably most popular in england Mm -hmm. and uh and um some guy i was at like a a, i was just i was went out to host one of these old school gatherings and and uh collectors uh events and and some guys like uh had this i think it was a I think it was some handlebars I made that I called the scud bars, and then, but then they were made wrong because I because Devitt uh, Mike Devitt had I, I wanted a 1.2 crossbar because at the time they would all be made out of like 0.35 or 49 you know tubing and they would all crunch and stuff yeah. and 
and uh, or break. And so I was like, man, I'm just gonna make I'd make it so thick there that you can't, you just can't penetrate it. And so, and he thought it was a typo, so he just made them with 03 or 049, you know, for the crossbar. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, uh, I only, I made, he had made 200 of them, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, next bar I'm gonna make, it's called the Patriots, and I'll hunt down all the scuds and blow them up, and no one, you know. <laughs> so, so then, uh, no one will know. Um, but then some guys like, and so I had these bars made for like, I remember they were $12, is what Mike would charge me for them. And some guy in England's like, Man, I found some scud bars and I got them for a bargain for twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm like, I bought those for twelve. <laughs> you know? It's insane. You know, I mean, I, I bought them for twelve and they'd probably sell for like I don't know twenty five or something right. at the time. But, um, but yeah, it, it's insane what people can ask for like that that era of of my products. Yeah, I wish I would have kept all the stuff. I, I just had to, my my thing was just get it out of the door. Sometimes I just gave it away to get to get the stock out. But now I'm like, dang, I should just held on to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I've not sold anything. Yeah, you could have a, a mint on your hand with all those old bikes and yeah, all these that, collectors. That new profit margin would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. Well, I could get on board with that 92 to 96 range, man. That's when I was just ooing over everything you guys yeah. were coming up with. Yeah, you know what? It had to have been like the heyday, right? Yeah, and it was like, uh, and I just actually, this guy, this collector guy just texted me when I was coming in because he, because like uh, I, was, I went to this another event earlier this year and I had these, and I, I, I was reissuing the Big Daddy and so I, was, I just brought these old Big Daddy stickers that I made back in the 90s. And I guess I never made them available uh, aftermarket. I just, I had them from prototypes or whatever and I just brought them. They wouldn't fit this frame because it's a little bit different di dimensions, but I just wanted to show that uh, these are the stickers that I'm remaking to put on these frames. And the guy's like, wait, you never sold those. And, uh, and I get a call from Gianna and she's, she's like needing to go to a school for an audition. I'm like, ooh, I didn't, I didn't budget for that. That's gonna be a good 800 bucks. And, and then uh, um, and this guy's like, hey man, uh, two, piece, two sticker sheets. Will you take 400 a piece for those? <laughs> Done. Sticker sheets for $800. Yeah. And I was like, and, but then his, his wife came up and she was pregnant. I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking food from your baby. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't sell these for you. <laughs> I'm not doing it. He's like, he's like, no, I've already sold them for 800. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, 600. Yeah. 600. So, yeah. um, so you're feeding his baby now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I felt a little more comfortable selling to him. Yeah. yeah it's ridiculous. That's the only thing I've ever really got to, I've kept a hold of. And I didn't even know it was, it was, I, I just threw it in my bag like it was worthless, right. you know, <laughs> whatever. But it's, it's amazing that, that scene now. But anyway. Do you, do you get back over there very often? England? Yeah. Um, I think here, when's the last time? I mean, it, it seems like I'd go over there pretty regularly, like mm -hmm. at least once a year. Um, and I've got like a, a lot of uh, base jump friends over there that want to jump with me. And I have one friend, he's, he's, making, he's made this video called uh, Unjumpable. It's a movie. And, uh, and he, he's base jumped every building in London. Really? Yeah, total secret, and I, I, I don't, I don't think it's out yet because That's I want to see like, uh, like kind of password stuff. You have to get in to watch it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I was needing new base gear, and he was needing a new bike. So, I traded him uh, the bike I rode on the last big ramp um, that I set a record on, and then. Uh, for the base gear he used in that movie, and so I've been—that's what I've been jumping for. My base gear is that—is that stuff that, it, and it's all doesn't have any metal on it because you'd have to sneak through the uh, metal detectors, and it's just all uh, fitted. It's pretty rad. 
It's like James Bond stuff, right? yeah, isn't right. it? Yeah, you know, he just totally. walks to the top of the building in a suit and then jumps off. He jumps yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. That yeah. What was it like, you know, kind of in the 90s and that special era when you're, you know, you're riding against everyone from all around the world and with the UK having such a, you know, big kind of BMX scene? What was that kind of like? Who was like your biggest competition at the time? Um, yeah, I mean, I went to, the first time I went to England was 87. I was 15 and we went, I went to the world championships and, um, and it was a, the, how it was staged, it was like a, there was like seven different events at different locations you had to compete in. Um, and then you, they took the overall scores from all that. And then, and then they took the winners and they had them all compete against each other too. So I, I won my class and then they had a champion of champions class and I won that class. And then, uh, um, but I think, I mean, one really r radical dude back then still, I don't know if he rode, he's probably, I don't, I don't think he rides too much, but, but, uh, um, but his name was Carlo Griggs. And, uh, and he was just a, he was a small, small dude, but he would just blast. And I think it just made, I mean, he would, he would be blasting even if he was a, he was a big guy, but, uh, but because he was so small, it just made it look like he was going so much bigger and he was a pretty incredible rider. So I would hang out with him and I'd, uh, I'd ride with him quite a bit. And, um, but yeah, there's a lot of innovators in, in England. I mean, there's, uh, um, Craig Campbell, who I just saw this last weekend too, and when I was in San Diego, and I hadn't seen him forever. But uh, I, I remember in that time, I saw him pop out and land on his pegs on the ramp, and then go back in. And I was like, yeah, he did peg stalls. No way he did peg stalls. And then, um, then I, I came back and I started trying that, and then, uh, and we started trying to learn how to grind those, and I started doing handrails with those. And so, like, just that moment inspired like handrails in, in BMX and, um, and just doing grinds really. Uh, so there's, and then, you know, you have like some of the all time greats, like Simon Tabron who lives in the States now and same with Jamie Bestwick, who just are mm -hmm. two incredibly talented riders. So there's a, there's a lot of great talent that's come out yeah. of there. Still is. You guys yeah. should have like a legend series. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. Cause I, I mean, I, I, I was starting to, this last contest, it was like, uh, I, I was kind of like, okay, I gotta, I'm gonna have to announce, and then okay, I need to do the timing, okay, I need to do uh, the score, and I, and but then, uh, but then I just started allocating it to different people, and then the comp was started, and I was like, I've allocated all the jobs, you know, like I don't have to do one job, and it's like you should ride, and I was like, and it already started, and I was like, okay, I, yeah. I don't have anything else to do, so, I, yeah. so then uh, I dropped in, and and uh, but I was already tired because I rode for the last three days like a lot right in that ramp, and and I was just like. I was worn out and, um, and my legs were kind of jelly. So I didn't really, first run, I got a little tired and did no hand five and just kind of looped out. And, and then I was like, ah, well, I'll just kind of keep a little more basic next run and just play around. And then Dennis rolled in right before me and then knocked himself out and just started snoozing for about six <laughs> minutes. And so I was like, you know, like if, if two old guys knock themselves out at the contest, it kind of ruins the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like you can't really roll into a contest without accepting that that could happen or whatever. So I was just like, I think I'll just like, I'll go back to uh, just adding the scores or something. <laughs> so I, so I, didn't, I didn't ride any of the other runs, but, uh, um, but it, was, it was still, it was, it was fun. So I kind of almost competed last yeah. weekend. <laughs> Do you have almost. an itch to get back into it? Uh, not, not really, but then that's, I think that's what kind of made me start thinking about, you know, it'd be fun just to, cause there's a lot of us old dudes that want to ride, but we don't really, I, I'm not, I don't really see 
riding in, as a 30 second run anymore. I just see riding as a fun session. I kind of have some stuff I want to do and I want to challenge myself with it, but I, it doesn't all have to happen consecutively wall to wall or whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of like, uh, it's just a little bit more mellow session. And, and so maybe it is, I think it is time to have like a, like a veterans or a legends or whatever, like a, a class to where we just have a kind of a jam. And I was kind of thinking even whenever I was doing that little uh, punk rock fun fest at the park down downtown with the, and it was rad because Jet and his friends came up with this idea and wanted to wanted to do it and um, and then then all then old guys showed up like us you know but it's it's normally like old guys producing it trying to get the young guys to show up and it's so rad just like all these young guys uh, put it on and then and all us kind of hung and just kind of were nostalgic because it's kind of like how we grew up and now they're just kind of celebrating their you know their creativities in that same way and. Um, and uh, uh, and then I was thinking, you know, that'd be rad because there's like there's four bands, and maybe maybe next time we just do like a a session for like like have like the the Shaka session or the Crush Crusher session, and just like these are different bands, and like they play for like 15, 20 minutes or something, and we just have we just all ride, and at the end of that jam, we just kind of uh, we give out prizes or something, and it's just not it's just a it's just a jam session and yeah. not really a you know not very structured and just more like freestyle and. Um, so yeah, I got kind of inspired by that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, kind of in that vein, do you ever worry about the sport losing its identity as its popularity grows, as more TV cameras are on it, as more corporate logos go on it? I mean, it's, a, it's already blown out of the bag and is as big as anybody probably thought it would ever be. But what you see with sports is traditional sports, you see kids getting really specialized a lot younger than they used to. And, you know, I wonder if that's the case with BMX or if that's the case with some other action sports or sports that were dreamed up because it was part of, like you guys always say, part of a lifestyle. And now it's becoming more of a thing. It's a it's a it's it's its own thing. And maybe what it was really all about is getting lost. Do you see that or do you see this next generation continuing on the pure essence of it, of what its principle is? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good question because it's kind of uh, in the era of our sport right now. It's like it's it's going in the Olympics and uh, yeah. and so it's becoming very institutionalized. And that's whenever things become corrupt and just uh, and and just really lose identity and just uh, and and really uh, uh, so I, yeah. So I, I fought that really for a while because, you know, they, they nominated me the president of our federation and it's been kind of ignored by the Olympic Committee because I've worked with those guys for the last 15 years. But, um, but really, they don't want to be told what to do and how to do it. They want to tell you how to do it and what to do. And it's like, uh, like you know, our, our sport is freestyle. You know, we, can, we, we get to change it how we want and, and, um, and it's a uh, it's, – you know, I, I think it's important to keep uh, that independent um, influence inside that that big corp- that big corporate structure, and it's hard to, to you know. So I propose trying to have like a commission that is nominated through our community that kind of represents our sport, but it, but nothing was working, and so I I finally realized that that uh, um, that you know big big corporation or big institutions like that don't like to be told what to do, and um, and so I was like, okay. Uh, it's the it's the first time in our our sport that I feel like it's there's there's factions of our sport now and and you know it's like they, there's going to be that faction and they're and I'm sure that will promote our sport really great like the X Games does uh, every year you know it's like one of the great greatest promotions of our sport where it puts it in uh, you know the people's puts our like 
passions and, and like our backyards into the living rooms of millions all over the world. And now with the Olympics, it's going to do the same thing. So it's going to be a good promotion and stuff. But, um, but I'm, you know, it, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be a, a different configuration. And there's probably going to be like kids that are now like born, uh, into like, uh, pedaling stationary bikes when they're two to like get ready for right. you know, yeah, so yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. all this weird stuff is going to happen it's going to be but it's and it, ours is kind of you know uh so i so but i think i've i've um come to terms with it where it's like you know we can all exist you know it's like right. you don't tell me how to live my life i won't tell you how to live your life and uh i mean at first they were asking me how to do it and then i would tell them and then they were like uh, well, and then they started telling me how to how to live my life, and I'm like, wait a minute, how did that happen? You know? yeah. And then, uh, um, so now I, I think I, I feel good, you know, like with uh, uh, like just you know the smaller, the, the whenever it's just about fun and just about getting everybody together and just uh, um, it's almost like the smaller the better now with uh, bringing the core together and doing events. And there's definitely a void. And I, and I, you know, that last event I did in San Diego, and then that one I just did locally, that was just a small thing. I just saw that spirit again, where it was just people there because they love it. They don't want anything. They don't want to take anything from it. They just want to be there and give and, and give what, what, uh, you know, their, their talents or their expressions or, uh, whatever they have to the, to the, um, the gathering or whatever. And so I, so it's, it's, that's been nice to kind of uh, reunite with that and, and see the purities of that. And, and so I, so I think, yeah, um, it, it is changing, but it is all staying the same too, you know? So it's just, there's just different, different, uh, factions of, of yeah. who we are now. It's pretty cool to probably tell your grandkids that you, you know, invented a ramp that's in the Olympics now. Like that, that's <laughs> yeah, kind of a cool story. Yeah, I think the big story. ramp is in They're the not going to use no. it? Uh, no, not even Vert is. It's like oh, the big no popular way. things like street and oh, okay. park. So yeah. I think just park is going to be in, in uh, this Olympics. Okay. Um, that would have been cool. But it complicated with, with the, the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. I bet it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's always, I love it whenever, uh, when Russia didn't come and I got free, free McDonald's for like, like three years, I think. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, lo- I love the Olympics. <laughs> this is awesome. But then whenever you like go and sit around a, a, a panel and you're just like, and, and all these people are, are telling you who you are and just, and how complicated and, and how structured everything is yeah. and how many different uh, committees and commissions and, and it's just like it's a headache. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I, I, I like, I, this, this is so exactly polar opposite of what attracted me to this yeah. life. <laughs> you right. know, like, how did I get here? You know, it's kind of like that moment whenever I, I was a manager for like twenty five people. You know, I'm like, wait a minute, how did I get here? You know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, competition obviously is huge, and it's been amazing. You've done some incredible things. What for you is the standout moment in your career that you would just, if you could relive it again, you'd do it again every time? Hmm. I mean, it's, there's, there's so many, like, like beautiful views I've had in my life, you know, and just be like, wow, that's, this is where, this is where I want to be. And I think a, a good moment, I don't know if this is a, a you know, like I, when I wanted to do No Hand in 900, it was something that was in my head and it just kept, it kept spinning in my head and I just couldn't get it out. And I'm a big, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a big kind of uh, person, a component uh, of like uh, 
visualization and stuff. And so I would just like, I'd just be walking, I'd be like spinning, but at the same time, like I'd say, I'd have to keep it inside me. I didn't want to tell anybody what I wanted to do because then it's expectation and then now it's, now it's not inside me and it's not personal, it's being expected from me and my mind changes and then I don't have the same focus that I had when it was, it was just mine or whatever. So I couldn't tell anybody I, I wanted to do it. You know, I just had to kind of know that it's, it's in me and it's, and it's going to come out eventually. And then the X Games came around and, and, uh, and I was, I was up on top. I was like, wait, this is the moment. I'm going to, I feel it. it I'm going to do a no hand 900. And, and so I was getting up on the deck and I was like, Ooh, I had my, my daughter, she was four at the time. And, uh, and JC was there front row. And I was like, JC, I know you've been asking and you've, you've seen that I've been visualizing things for a few months and, and you, you know, something's in my head and this is the time it, I'm going to let it out. But, uh, you know things can go wrong and if i if you see me go down and i don't get back up then just take our daughter and please just walk away because there's plenty of people here and someone's going to take care of me you know and then but then having to have that honest conversation before you got on the deck and (laughs) and then i was but i was like but i need you i would like you to sit right here right in front of the in the very front row because I'm gonna look down, I'm gonna get that energy from from our family and roll in and just you know, uh, you know, just celebrate that in, in what I what I yeah. in this run. And so, um, so I dropped in, did a no hander, you know, and then I, I just kind of get loose, and then then I kind of just uh, got hit the next wall just to kind of uh, get the exact pump, you know, um, that I needed for the speed for for the what I wanted to do. And I just, I popped I popped it, and I was like, oh popped it too hard and I took my hands off and I slowed me down and I was like oh I just keep my hands off longer it'll it'll keep my uh, rotation slow my rotation down so it was because I spun it spun it too hard uh or because I took my hands off it corrected my spin and it's if I didn't do a no-hander I probably would have crashed that 900 (laughs) so it's like so it just it totally worked out but yeah it doesn't always work out but that that day it worked out it's amazing that like just talking through that you know like just natural ability to hold like in that split second you're like oh i'm just gonna hold my arms out a second yeah, that's slow the me beauty down. of like because everything has to be very instinctual and you just have to you have to trust your yourself you know and just like and things you know like the decisions i make when i ride have to come in split second and it could be you know hospital going to the hospital not going to the hospital right. those decisions they have to they have to you have to react that quick and um and sometimes it was fun because I was like, I was I was talking with Rodney Mullen um, uh, end of last year. We were doing an event together, and um, and there's like some and and it's red because it's like we start we start talking with each other and we start talking our own language that we only really understand. And it's like, wait, you too? <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's cool because there's some there's some tricks that you can visualize, but there's then some tricks that make no sense when you visualize them but you feel them and so you just have to you have to under you have to just trust the feeling of it and just let your body react off of that feeling and and not really and not think about it because when you think about some tricks it just makes it complicated and they don't they don't really make sense analytically they only make sense uh like as a as a as a motion or a uh you know like a um you know like as as a flow or whatever but um and so, so that was that was that was pretty cool. Like just talking about some tricks that I do like that, and some tricks that he does like that. And because he's he's just such a he's such an awesome dude, man. He's just he's like a, um, oh, what like a, uh, you know, just 
um, he, yeah, he's, he's just one of a kind, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, is, the, is it like slow motion when you're up there? Does it just all yeah. slow down? Yeah. That's a beauty, beauty of the, the brain too, is when things get real intense. Um, it's like you could have a conversation with yourself, like what you're doing and stuff. And sometimes crashes are like that too. It's like, I mean, they just, the crashes, they take forever sometimes. And, but, uh, um, and then other times you don't even see them coming and the next thing you know, you're like, wait, I guess I crashed because I'm on the ground. <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, in hospital. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did that whenever I was riding Danny's, Danny Way's ramp, the last big ramp I rode. He, he made like a, it was a 30 foot tall ramp and he created it with this elliptical transition that was like, it was 30 feet that went to 25 feet at the, at the lip. And so, and I was like, I was kind of confused. It was like pretty tech and I, I didn't really understand why, why he was doing that. But then whenever I, was, I went to ride it, he invited me out there just to test it with him. And, uh, and he was like, hey, I was in China, I think. And he was like, like hey, Matt, he sent me a text. Hey, Matt, I built this, this crazy ramp. I wonder if you, you wanted to test it out with me. I'm like, dude, that's like the greatest <laughs> invite I've ever had. Like, you built this ramp that, you know, like you got, you like, you got all these people to support you to build this amazing thing. And I can just go there and ride it with no expect. I don't owe nothing anybody. I can just ride it by myself. And like, and so I was like, I was like, yeah. And I booked my ticket like right then. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm there, you know? And so I, I went out there and, and then the first, uh, um, well, the, the, what the elliptical train, training, it would just like, you know, when you ride a ramp, you kind of have your G's really uh, um, strongest in the center of the ramp and then lightest at the top. And with that, as it comes at you, it kind of equated your G's out. So it was like almost, uh, you had the same pressure going all the way up. And so there wasn't like a, you couldn't like miss your pump. Like sometimes if you miss your pump, we call it dead sailing. And you're just like, you're off center. And it's just on those big ramps, you're just like picking what, what you're going to break. <laughs> you know, like how am I going to land it? And, and, uh, and the first time I rode that ramp, it was like, um, I was like, you know, I, I, I want to, I don't want to, I want to go there with no expectation and I want to prove that I can walk away, you know, cause I just, I, I always just over amp myself and I just push it to where, uh, to where I break myself. And, and so I just like, I just wanted to prove that I could just, I, I could, I could do this successfully and, and not get too, too excited. And, and so, um, so I, I walked away. And then, then he invited me back the next month. Hey, you want to ride again? I was like, and and I knew this. Then he was going to set his record, and then it was going to get torn down. And so I was riding it, and I was just thinking, you know, if I walk away, I'm going to be really kind of disappointed and haunted by <laughs> by that I was here and I didn't I didn't push it until I broke. And so then I I just pushed it until I uh, until I just uh, until I broke. And I just I I was out for probably six or seven minutes and. Um, and then when I came to an S fracture of the collarbone and, um, but it was weird. Like my, I had no pain. Like it, I didn't, I didn't hurt at all. And took my bike apart, put in the, called my doctor, you know, I've got the greatest doctor in Oklahoma city, Dr. Yates. And, and just told him what, told him what happened. He's like, all right, well, we'll come home and get an x-ray, uh, when you get home that night. And, and so I, and have him send it to me. And so I got home, got an x-ray, like did it one day, flew home the next day, got an x-ray. Um, uh, they sent it to Yates uh, late at night, and then he he called and he's like, "All right, you're yeah, I gotta I gotta put that back together. Um, uh, you're scheduled for tomorrow at 11." So I went in <laughs> the next day, got fixed, and it was like nothing ever happened. <laughs> <I> totally <laughs> broke myself off. Two days later, it was like, 
Yeah, I was like, man, I am the luckiest, uh, yeah. irresponsible person in the world. <laughs> well, not to dwell on the negative, um, but there is an element. Um, and when athletes get hurt, it just it, it, it just doesn't come back together. There is a rehabilitation. There's. Did you ever have a moment when you were going through one of your injuries, maybe one of your, your more traumatic ones or one of your harder ones to get over, where you, you know, that process of rehabbing and is the grind of that can beat an athlete down to where they're like, yeah, man, I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. You know, yeah. I mean, did, and not necessarily I'm so sick of this or whatever, but just that aspect of it. I mean, I broke my leg playing high school football. You know, I broke my collarbone riding a dirt bike and just rehabbing from those little tiny things. Yeah. You know, let alone at your level where you're a professional, you're top of the world at your sport. I can only imagine the intensity of that where you're thinking, man, if, I, if this ankle doesn't heal right, I'm not going to be able to do that again. Or if this shoulder doesn't come back full strength, I'm not going to be able to land. Yeah. I mean, do you have those moments where you're like, what? What am I doing? I mean, do I want to go through all this? Yeah, yeah, I think. But, uh, I mean, like, I, ironically, like, uh, that moment came from getting hit by a semi-truck. <laughs> I was like, uh, in 2007, I rode... Uh, I rode my last uh, X Games Big Air contest, and then, I, and I was I was getting really kind of gnarly that year. I was I was I was in uh, what was it the um, uh, it was like Reunion Island. I went out to, and I uh, I was flying volcanoes with paragliders and, and hitting thermals and just like getting kind of a little aggro and doing doing some doing some stuff that that maybe well I was I was being a little bit risky and. Um, and then I got home and I was like, you know, this was a, I'm, I got to really uh, identify how lucky I am. I, I made it through this year and, uh, and I just need to chill myself out a little bit, you know? And, and so I, I was like, I, I was going to go get uh, my daughter um, at school, pick her up. And I, I came to a stop sign at, uh, um, at uh, Coltrane and Memorial. And I looked one way, there's a red truck, and, and he's like, yeah, go ahead. And I was like, okay. So, because uh, we kind of got there at the same time. So I pulled forward and then didn't see anything on my corner of my hair, but then a semi-truck didn't see the stop sign, and it was going like 50 miles an hour and, and uh, T-boned me. Rode, I actually drove over the top of my car, and then the back wheels just kicked me and spun me in, off the road into a tree and knocked me out. And uh, I didn't have a seatbelt on, which I wear my seatbelt all the time now. And children, kids, adults, <laughs> just uh, don't let that moment. So hey, yeah, I should probably start wearing seatbelts. You know, do it before that. But uh, um, but then I, I came to. So I was knocked out and my car was just completely wrecked. My shoulder was like, my arm was just kind of hanging off of me. And, um, and, uh, uh, and then I, I went, so I had, I, I, uh, I had to get surgery and I had torn, you know, this is, I had torn my rotator cuff three times prior. So it was already kind of weak. And then I had torn the, all four glenoids off the humerus head. And then, um, Dr. Yates had to go in there and it was just so, my supraspinatus was so thin that he had to use graft jacket to kind of, which is cadaver skin to kind of place it back together and rebuild it to get it to pull back over to my humerus head and reattach it. But then it's, now it's like, uh, um, graft jacket, it's, it kind of heals like cartilage and muscle in the same thing. And so it's, it, it has a lot of spasms and, um, and it's, uh, and it's partially paralyzed. Like, I don't know, I probably, I probably had to like assist my arms when I shake hands and stuff with you guys in the, before. And, and so it's like, uh, and I, 
And my and his first time, I mean, Yates is always like he knows it's my passion. He'll put me back together and, and um, do whatever he can to get me to ride. But he's like, he's like, man, I don't, I, I don't think you're ever gonna ride again. You know, like this is this is not this arm is not gonna work anymore. And um, and I and it took me four years of rehab, and I still I had to completely alter all my riding around this injury. You know, but uh, um, and I can't ride the same as I used to, but. Um, but I can ride and now I just had to, I had to mentally, uh, um, I just had to accept that everything's new again. You know, it's like, yeah, I might, I might be doing the same trick, but it's a new trick because I have like, it's like a new bike, but a new body, you know, it's like I haven't. And so, so I, I kind of at the time, at that time I was like, well, how can I make the, how can I make my bike? So I don't feel like I'm just like judging myself from my past accomplishments on this bike. And, and so I was like, I mean, so that's when I lost my brakes and I just started trying to figure out a different flow. And so I made it like a, a unique new challenge to, to kind of reaccomplish, like reaccomplish and, um, so that I could I could feel progressive or whatever and um, and then uh, but yeah so at that moment I, I I'd even had people coming in from the Bahamas like to give me aquatic therapy and just kind of showing me all these different things to rehab it trying to get it to respond again and it was just I mean it was really I, I, and then I then I just like once I was like after four years like you know I I mean I kind of lost the fire I didn't really and then I started looking at like what I did from like when you do it all the time it all makes sense you know it's like it's part of you but whenever you take four years off and you look at it again you're like what the hell is my problem I I, I did what like and like why would I do that why would I just go out and I so I went out to my ramp and I was just I built in my backyard and I was just like I'm just gonna see like like if if I still have a connection to this and and then uh um, and then I, I started riding and I, I started, I started really kind of, it was almost full circle because before, when I, before that, every time I rode, I was in a contest or a show, or I was kind of doing something vicariously through some, through someone's else appreciation. And, um, and, and this is the first time in, since I was a little kid that I was riding for me, you know, and this is like, I wasn't, it didn't, if I, if I made a mistake when I was riding, I didn't. I didn't get bummed because someone might notice that because no one's watching me and it's just like so I just was like okay wait why do I do this and I, so I rediscovered why I did it again and it just and I, it's really I mean it was, I felt really almost lucky because I would have never rediscovered that unless it was like another time in my life where maybe uh, gets that trauma really made made a great produced a great moment again in my life and because I've had so many traumas and a lot of times you know I mean, you just have to look at that whenever you, when you're in a sport that beats you down or a lifestyle that beats you down all the time, you have to kind of, you can't be scared of, of, of that. And you, and, uh, you have to look at the, you have to look at the good size. Otherwise you get pretty bummed or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I just read, I just started riding in my backyard and, uh, and just kind of relearning everything again and just kind of with a, uh, like a, a, a new kind of pure passion for it. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's I still injure myself all the time. You know, I mean, I, I broke my heel last year. I've, uh, um, I broke my er, tailbone, well, my uh, um, not my tailbone. It's your uh, coccyx on your tailbone earlier this year. I've been having a lot of back problems and stuff, but I finally I'm getting on top of that. But uh, yeah, it's been it's it's interesting. I I, I I've been uh, you know whenever. Uh, my my body really hates me, <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it, it, it just yeah. I wake up and I'm and it, it doesn't say good morning. It gives me the finger. 
Yo, bro, we haven't even started the day yet. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Steve Zabel, one of our football guys that played for years in the NFL, he's, I made the same comment. He said, I used to get out of bed and love my body, and it loved me. And now neither of us get out of bed. <laughs> Not without a fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, right. But yeah, there is. I mean, but you know, I think there, there's still, if there's a will, there's a way. Because it's like everybody, you know, we've seen all our friends that uh, whenever we've gotten older, they're like, and they hurt themselves, that kind of gives them an excuse to not, not do it and, and risk that anymore. But if, if you want to do it, I mean, I mean, I've beat myself down more than anybody and I can still, still do it and I can still figure out. And I mean, I mean, I've really been doing a lot of acupuncture and that's been helping a lot and then just trying to really kind of luckily my wife she's a Pilates teacher and yoga and stuff so I started listening to her recently just recently I know it's been like I mean she's been doing this like we've been married for 26 years yeah. and, and uh and I was like you know you you're you're like uh, talent is exactly what uh the reason why I'm so jacked up is because I I, I just I don't know I see my problem is I'm an athlete but I'm not really an athlete. I'm like a dude that, uh, that, that isn't very good at working out. And like, I, I ride to work out, but I right. don't cross train. I don't do anything else. I, you know, I, 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 after four rotator cuffs, there's no way I can ever do a push up anymore or anything. But, uh, but yeah, so I, but then I, but then I started really realizing that when you get older, you're, you know, you really got to find that, you redevelop that core and stuff. And so like, yeah, and it's and I always think that I can I can just like do I want to I want to do something that's like challenging and and uh, and hard and correct it like instantly you know but but really you have to be real you have to be real gentle and do things that you don't even think it's doing anything and just do that progressively over over months and then you get better and I just my mind just doesn't really get that but I'm starting to realize that's my problem I got to start getting that <laughs> yeah. And you're still writing. Like I said, you're out on your ramp every day. You got your GoPro on your helmet now. You're posting on social media a lot of you know your rides and stuff. And what was that like? You know, growing because when you're on the scene and, and doing all your amazing things, like social media wasn't around. Yeah. Do you think your life would have been completely different if if it had been around? Yeah, I wouldn't have ever had to leave my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the you beauty because miles. right. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I would like uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a big accomplishment. I, I passed my million miler on United last year, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, um, yeah, it's it's really great because I can I can ride, I can just be in my own mind and and just uh, but then I can I can share, I can basically do a show show for a hundred thousand people or so, yeah. and there, like and just uh, and just be at the privacy of my house and so. And that's kind of my style. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's not that I, uh, you know, I, I, I like hanging out with people and stuff, but I, I really, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't like hanging out with people. I like, I like, I, I've got so many amazing people in my life and I, but I, I do like to, I do like privacy yeah. and I do like to just be in my own head and I like to, I like. I like to play with my own like challenges I give myself and I don't, I don't really, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's just, that's what bike riding is to me. It's, I, I, I've learned the value of being selfish with my passion. Right. And like, I used to like, just think, ah, oh, I'm so passionate about, wait, I can, I can still call these other people out too. Okay. Wait, I can share my passion with all these people. Uh -huh. Oh, great. But then it's like, 
then then it's then you for, you forgot like that it's your passion yeah <laughs> and that it's not anybody else's and so now I, I think I think rediscovering that in my backyard and riding and just kind of reuniting with my passion self I was like dang I forgot how how powerful passion is when you're selfish and you just do it for yourself so I've, I I enjoy that too so Matt what uh, you know what what's coming up in the future what are your plans for you know I guess the end of 2019 and then you know for the next five to ten years obviously you've got a big um, you know involvement with the BMX and in the federation and being the president and stuff like that um, you know what what would you like to do with that and what's coming up in the future yeah well uh, my dream is to kind of create a, a really um, you know prominent kind of uh, annual event in Oklahoma City uh, that kind of brought together all over the history of our sports and just uh, and just the future of our sports and um, and uh, the world championships our IBMX FF um, freestyle world championships has been around for almost 40 years and I've I've won like 10 world championships in my my time and it's never been in America and so my dream is to really uh, see if it's possible to uh, to bring that to Oklahoma and uh, um, be be the uh, host um, city for the first time in the U.S. And, uh, and then we could, because I mean, we have so many great things going on in Oklahoma with like the core of our sports and the uh, downtown skate park and just so much uh, um, more just uh, uh, freedom of the arts and just uh, uh, how different ways people are expressing in the city. So uh, I think this would just be, with all the progression going on, this would be kind of a a pretty amazing cherry to put on top of uh, of, of Oklahoma as being kind of the, the center of creativity and, and uh, progression and, and uh, action sports. Yeah, so ten, you've won it 10 years, won, you've won it 10 times, and, you know, like it's never been in this, that's crazy it's never been in the States. I know, man, yeah, so... Yeah, and with all the all the stuff going on in in the city, and just uh, all the great um, venues to to be able to host an event like that, it's just it seems like it, the time is now. And yeah, and I yeah, so that would be pretty rad. What so. uh, what kind of year? What kind of time of year would that be? It would be uh, a lot of times it's in it's in summer, but uh, but I was thinking of pushing a little bit later, like into the fall, because we have such better weather in Oklahoma during that time. So yeah, um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, uh, we've we've got we've got a lot of uh, we can kind kind of decide what's best for the city and stuff. And yeah, so yeah, I'd probably say like October. And as the president of that federation, you know of the federation is that right so you're president that's yeah they, they so nominated me the president of this federation it's called the international bmx freestyle federation okay and uh um and uh ibmx ff for short you know for the acronym but uh but yeah so it, it, uh, we've, we've had it in this year to be in germany i actually leave next week to go okay. to germany in cologne germany for for it and um and i have an art show with bob harrow there which would be pretty cool yeah um, and uh, we're gonna do like an old school like a uh, little quarter pipe shows like we did back in the 80s and stuff get some of us old schoolers together and play around and so that's gonna be fun but uh Stefan Prantl he hosted there but it's been it was in England the year before and uh just kind of travels around Europe and it's it's never been out of Europe so yeah uh, so I think it's time that'd be really cool well I mean thank you so much for taking your time um to, you know just to share your story and chat with us today it's been amazing you know to be here you know just in just 
this is going to be an awesome partnership. I can't wait to, to interview many more Oklahoma Hall Sports Hall of Famers. But you know, to have a BMX Hall of Famer in the room with us today, this has yeah. been special. <laughs> Just, um, uh, for me to be an Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who thought that was going to happen? Yeah. You know, well, like, when we were talking, it was like, well, you know, we're going to start this project. Who should we get first? We should get Matt Hoffman. Yeah. That's who we should get first. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so Number that's one. So honored, yeah. man. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, like, no, it's... Very honored to be a part amongst all these greats, man. It's, yeah, I'm excited. For this is going to be an awesome series. But, Matt, like again, really appreciate your time. I know Justin really appreciates it, too. Uh, guys listening, definitely, you can follow Matt at Condor BMX on Instagram. You post a lot of the videos there. Uh, cool. Kind of see what you're doing in your backyard. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool to see. You know, because me growing up in the 90s and playing all your video games, and yeah. now it's like, like I said, you went through four years of rehab, and now you're in your backyard posting videos. And I'm sure Still you get really good at crashing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed. But um, no, guys, listen, definitely follow Matt there, and then you can definitely follow the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame at OK Sports H O F and swing by. This place is awesome. It's free. Uh, Justin, open Tuesday, uh, Tuesday just, Sunday. Yeah, just like the beauty parlor, Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, We won't cut your hair, but you'll learn something when you come in, I promise. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston, mixed by Alan Brown, with music by Chad Duro.